Yeah, yeah. Let's do it, God. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, you uh, you do call each of us to different kinds of work in your kingdom and um, in accordance with the gifts that your Spirit puts within us. And today we pray specifically for uh, those that are stepping into this space, into this work, uh, that have been called into this critical ministry, relational space. Uh, it can be heavy. Uh, but we know that in you, uh, you strengthen, you give joy, you give the perseverance, you uh, build us. Um, so I pray, God, that these leaders uh, would not only explain and express uh, and point to you, Jesus, but that they would demonstrate the gospel in their own lives. Uh, be fresh in their hearts, be uh, continually renewing and uh, refreshing them for all that lays ahead. God, give them rest amidst the work uh, that you have called them to and bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for leading out like that. Okay, do it. Yeah. Hey, if you have uh, kids that are checked in the kids' community, elementary school age. There's Miss Brittany. Go for it. All right. Nice to have you all. Cut right through here. This is perfect. There you go. There is, what is that geo, geometric principle? One and only one line can be drawn from point A to point B, and the fastest route is direct. Do it. All right. Hey, um, let me give you an update on, the, on what's happening in the Northwest. And um, please, please don't forget that uh, we are one church. And uh, what's going on in the Northwest isn't just something for you to be informed about. It is something for you to be engaged in. Uh, and when the time comes for us to discover our collective will, <laughs> to live by faith, I will be coming to you as, as I w will them, for sure. In fact, the Northwest contingent of our congregation um, provides 70% of what we have uh, resource-wise as a church. So we wouldn't be here. We couldn't not even buy this, but we wouldn't be able to sustain what we're doing without them. They are without a space, and we are working hard to get there. So I sent a letter. I'm going to read that a little bit here uh, if you didn't get it. If, if that's the case, please find a way to get us your email so you can get on this list. But uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a crazy six weeks. Um, we've, we've done some great things. Like, we're excited. We've got something regularly going again in the Northwest. They're thrilled about that. We've had a couple combined services. We continue to push into the partnerships that we have. Um, we've seen crazy growth in the Bloom Free Store. It, every month, we serve more people every single month. And now there's a, a second location in the Hilltop area uh, in coordination with Faith Community Church down there. Uh, we've got two churches uh, we continue to support that are using this facility in different ways. And we keep coming alongside Reverend Brown down there in the Jaira Church in the near uh, east side as much as we can. God's hand has been all through it. Um, uh, we want to keep informing you of what's going on with regard to the facility in particular, though. There, in fact, there's been a, a group of volunteers that have been searching for space over there for well, I want to say years. It, it, it probably very significantly so in the last year. Uh, did dozens of properties and buildings, and um, as you can imagine, it's challenging. Budgetary constraints, 
uh, zoning issues. There's, there's no end to the problems that, that exist in trying to secure space. But uh, we keep working that way. And you'll recall for sure that early August, maybe even late, mid-late July, um, we had this opportunity in Franz Road, um, 40,000 square feet, um, a, a believing family that owns it, the Lindsay family, you may even know the Lindsay Honda, uh, and they wanted to work with us. And so we, for the most part, came to terms with regard to a lease. And then it was a matter of uh, getting that building up to code, uh, it's zoned for assembly, but it's built and stuff. It turns out that the costs to do that are two, almost three times what we can afford. So we had to <laughs> abandon that track really uh, altogether. Um, we're pausing on that, on that lease space. We were excited. Today was supposed to be celebration day, but as you can see, there's, there's no balloons, no confetti. <laughs> we, we aren't yet celebrating, at least that. Um, but we are leaning in and continue to pursue whatever we possibly can over there. There are, there are options, and we're looking to God to make those steps. Church, the work of the church, we are worshipful, and we are relational, reaching for more, and we're reaching further. The church has always been the people, and it'll continue to be the people. So we lean into that work. Uh, we continue to do Sunday morning in two locations. We'll uh, continue to create avenues for relational connection, like the group life and all those sorts of things. Continue to press into the opportunities to serve. Um, and we invite you into those, whether it's the Bloom or the Bridge or local food pantries, tutoring programs. All, we've got numbers of partnerships, and we encourage you to do those sorts of things and be the church. Um, We'll just keep providing updates as we go on. Feel to reach out to me or our board chair, some of you know Bobby Castor, um, any of the pastors, anybody. We'd be love to continue this dialogue with you, and we're moving toward what God has. The thing I would like to specifically ask you to pray about as we wrap this up is a meeting we'll have this week uh, with Steve Lindsay uh, in which we'll explore the opportunity to, to buy that property. It, it, it seems as though you bought it at a song during the pandemic and on two and three occasions of what he tried to do with it, the city said no. So he now has this building. Um, he appreciates us and what we're doing and we're very hopeful that, that maybe he'll make it possible for us to uh, shift it. We'll figure it out, okay? There's your update. Back to Romans. All right, we've been working chapter 16 for some unknown reason that we just attribute to God. We decided to go backwards through Romans. It's been kind of a crazy ride. We get here to chapter 3, and we don't find, honestly, anything new. <laughs> what we discover is that Paul is incredibly repetitive in this 16-chapter, beautiful, wonderful text about the gospel. And his repetitiveness is uh, in itself instructive, if you think about it. The gospel is powerful, but it's simple. It's, it's memorable, but we easily forget it. The gospel overcomes death and hopelessness. It's, it's, it's powerful in this way, yet it's really a whisper. God is not the kind of God who barges in and threatens. He invites. He doesn't burden with demands. He offers rest. 
The gospel is not complicated. It's not all that sophisticated. It's deep and it's powerful. And unfortunately, our minds, more and more as the days go on, are conditioned for complicated. We feel better about ourselves when we communicate and master complexities. Our attention spans have been, have been acclimated to lose interest <laughs> at high speed. Like we can move on fast. We're accustomed to sorting through vast amounts of, of information. And our schedules can be pretty hectic. But the gospel, again, I repeat, is really very simple. And Paul just keeps repeating it. Securing that gospel in our lives requires no work. You don't earn it. And the mature gospel life, a mature gospel life is mostly about how quickly one returns to the simplicity of the message and just believes it. Here's Paul in chapter 3 saying what he's going to say again in chapter 2 when we get there next week, in chapter 1 and the week after that, and what he said in chapters 4 through 16. And he's having fun. Like, he's in chapter 3. For us, we're on like our 14th chapter. He's only in chapter 3. And he's already having fun with it. Listen to this. He says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Because he's just got finished laying out that all that it, that it is to be Jewish has nothing to do, really, with whether or not you are part of God's people. They thought it had everything to do with it. And he's like, is there any advantage to being a Jew? And he says, oh, yes, of course, in every way. First of all, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. And it's true. God has spoken through this little nation for millennia after millennia. They have the words of God in the form of the wisdom of God and the, and the hearts of, of those that love God. There's a great advantage. He says again, so what shall we conclude then? Do we have an advantage? And he says, not a... This is, this is Paul. He's like, yeah, we have a great advantage, but we have no advantage. He says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. Therefore, no one will be declared righteousness in God's sight by the works of the law. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, given through faith in Christ to all who believe. Like, no one has an advantage. Everybody is subject to sins. He goes on, he says, listen, we've all sinned. This is Romans 3, 23, 25. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are all justified, made right, freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement and through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. This is already repetitive here in chapter 3, and he's going to keep going, as we know, through the rest of Romans. It's true that some of us might argue that we have an advantage, and maybe in some ways it's, it's more like you don't have an excuse. You've been raised, maybe you've been raised in a Christian culture. Language is all over the world now, as opposed to just even just 100 years ago, have the scriptures in their own language. We can read it. We know the gospel. It's not being read to us in Latin. Do you know how long it took for, for the, the common people to understand the gospel? It is readily understood. We certainly have some advantages. 
But in fact, everyone has fallen short. And no one can trust in their own goodness, their own effort, their own strength, but in Christ alone for divine approval. And only in Christ do we have eternal hope. And this is what we talk about today. And maybe for the next couple weeks. Hope. It's, it's pretty easy to lose hope. Life can be trucking along and then something happens and suddenly you just feel disheartened or devastated, alone, confused. Uh, many of you live with um, the pain of tragedy in your past or mistakes that, can be, uh, that can't be undone. There, there is a, 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 an over shadowing sense of hopelessness that if we uh, have avoided it for some seasons in life that are good, we tend to have this sort of like, well, it's going to come around. This life is a struggle. But we're promised hope. We are established in Christ. This is, this is the last couple phrases in the, in the whole book of Romans. Remember, we talked about this day one that we started talking about when we looked right at Romans chapter 16. The point that Paul is trying to get across here is how we are established in Christ. Rock solidly sure about our forgiveness and our eternity. But this idea of hope, and not just a future hope, but a present hope. And if we properly understand it, we get a particular perspective and an ability to endure this life in a profoundly good way. It's hard, though. We, we look around, and we're careening through life in these cars that continue to get dented and beat up and dilapidated, a, a metaphor for, well, my body, at least. <laughs> Just, you know, we, 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 it's deteriorating. This life is deteriorating. Our body is deteriorating. My memory is deteriorating. My eyes are deteriorating. I, I was on, uh, we, had a, we had a little vacation um, together, Tammy and I, uh, last weekend, we were gone like uh, Thursday to Saturday, Wednesday to Saturday, or something like that. And um, I don't want to go into it. It's kind of embarrassing. But while I was riding the subway, my glasses fell off. And there's a and the platform. I don't know how it happened. <laughs> I look down and I see my glasses disappearing from my face. And, and I remember, again, how my body is deteriorating. I can't, I can't see. I can't see. Life continues to go like this, and we need hope, and not just a future one. We started looking at this last week. Is my timer going? Okay, good. Wow, I have a whole 15 minutes left. That's normally, normally I look up and it's like I'm over already. <clears throat> Listen to this, Romans chapter 5, we started talking about this. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is again, justified through faith. I'm repeating, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, right? That is secure. We are established in Christ. It's not future, it's, it's now. By faith, we are established and certain of our future. And then Paul says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. It's kind of hard to understand that. We boast, we don't boast, we don't boast in, in what we have. We don't boast in what we've done. 
We don't even boast in what God has done through me. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of a future awareness of the wonder and the magnitude of God because of what we have because of what we have received from him now. We see what's happened with Jesus, and because of Jesus, we begin to see who this God is and how magnificent he is, and we believe it so in increasing measure, never fully in this lifetime, but we boast in it, we talk about it. Because of Jesus, we can talk in, in magnificent terms with whoever we're talking about, that there is a future that we are certain of where there is a God who is sovereign over all things, even death. Paul's saying that not only do we have a future assurance in Christ, the spiritual endurance of this life actually strengthens that hope. Let me, let me try to say that again, right? We, we understand from what we know about Jesus that we have this future hope, and we know that in Jesus, by faith, we have this future hope. But Paul is saying what happens in this struggle of a life, the way we live this deteriorating space, this often disheartening, sometimes tragic life, the way we do it actually increases our ability to see and understand this unseen God but it comes about through this difficult life. Not only so, Paul says, not only are we established in Christ, not only can we boast in a certain future glory of God, but Paul says we also glory in our sufferings. That's a pretty foreign concept to humanity, naturally speaking. Not only do we boast in the future glory of God, seeing him in his fullness, we also glory in our sufferings. We don't, we don't just close our eyes, stick our head in the sand, and wait for a future glory. He's saying, look, in this struggle of a life, we glory. Why? Because we know, we know, that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance Produces character and character hope. Think about this. We often put hope at the beginning of the equation. We say to God, give me some hope. Answer my prayers. Show me that you're real. And then I will have faith and I will persevere. Am I wrong? We think, I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm stuck, God. I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. I, I don't have any hope. Give me hope. And then I will, every, how many prayers has humanity said, God, if you do this, I will follow you forever. Right after Jesus did the miraculous catch of fish, 
he said to them, do you love me more than these? We don't know exactly the these that he's referring to, but there is a mountain of fish laying there. Do you love me more than the Mary, more than these brothers and sisters you have in Christ? They were eating breakfast. Do you love me more than the food that I've prepared? Do you love me more than what I give you? Hope is last in the equation, not first. When we live by faith in the struggle of life, the spirit that God puts in us at conversion provides a perseverance and deepens our character. And through that, we actually come to a greater knowledge of God himself and, the, and a greater certainty about the future. Because we look at this life and we think, how did I make it through? How did I come through that? And the Christian says, oh, I guess it's, the, it's God in me. It's the spirit of God. It is him himself. And so it becomes even a greater certainty for us. I've told you a bit about my neighbors over the last year. Um, my then 34-year-old um, <laughs> astoundingly unique and wonderful neighbor and his wife, uh, and he's got three kids, six, four, and two. He was diagnosed with cancer, and he passed away last week at 35. 35. And I, I sat with them within hours of the diagnosis a year ago. And Casey's words, his wife's words, were something along the lines of, in sobbing tears, I cannot do this. I cannot do this. They're believers. And if, and if you have the opportunity to read her blog over the last year, it will blow your mind. <laughs> her faith in one of the most tragic things that can befall a person is phenomenal. And Thursday night, we were sitting in our kitchen, just preparing her final thoughts for what she was going to say yesterday at the funeral. And I brought this up to her. And I said, do you see what's, can you see what's happening in your own life? And she said, yeah. I read my own blog and I don't know who wrote that. They have served as an apologetic for me for this verse. As the way to prove that something's true, the apologetic of it. I look at their lives and they say, yes, this, this verse is true. I can see it right there. In the suffering life, there's a perseverance and their character is deepening and her hope is greater than it was at the start. It should be crushed and tossed aside, right? It should be devastated. And, and here we are, here we arrive today, Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame. What does he mean? It means this, it doesn't disappoint. We don't hope in vain. We know that it's going to be good in the end. How do we know that? 
How can we be so sure about a good future with God? A future that is somehow better than the best life imaginable here. A future that is good in spite of the tragedy of today's events and circumstances in life. How can we be that sure? How can we develop and have that kind of hope? How is it that hope becomes not just a pipe dream, something that we hope for in the future, but a hope that actually shapes this life and the believer? One word. Anastasis. Good, let's pray and um, head home. Yeah, it's a Greek word that means rising up. The English word, resurrection. Particularly of Jesus, but listen, also of you and of me, every believer. Resurrection is what is at the center of our hope. The crucifixion, if you will, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of being very almost superficial and simplistic here in a sense, but stay with me. The crucifixion rests, rests at the center of our forgiveness, substitute for what we should endure because of our sin, and through that crucifixion we are forgiven. The resurrection is the foundation of a life of hope. The people of God have Always it says, therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul. And then Job says quite powerfully, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. This is bodily resurrection. This is physical resurrection. And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, breathes life back into him. And then Jesus himself is bodily raised to some kind of a body that's hard to explain. He walked through walls or a locked door after his resurrection Yet he was physical, Thomas touched him, and they ate food together. And then one last thing here about resurrection. <laughs> guys, I'm sorry to just expose my own ignorance here. Um, I've been a believer for 47 years. I've read the Bible all of those 47 years. I've read the Gospels through and through many times. In fact, I read Matthew completely in one three-day period when I was fasting many, many years ago. I have no recollection of this particular paragraph in Matthew 27, and maybe it will be understandably so, why you might put this out of your mind. Listen to this. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. This is, this is him dying on the cross. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, Theologically here, just talking about access with God, where we weren't able to access him before in Christ, we can, right? The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Have you read this? 
the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the city and appeared to many people. <laughs> I was reading that in this week going, what? It made me think of a, a pastor that once was preaching on the raising of Lazarus. And he said, do you know why Jesus said, Lazarus, come out? He said, because if he would have just shouted into the grave, come out, all the dead people would have come out. They all, all the dead would have obeyed Jesus. They would have heard, come out, and they would have come out. You get the same sense here. The power of God that, that flushed down to the earth to raise Jesus from the dead, overshot The voice of God overshot that grave to other graves and they were, they were raised up. Like I said before, we Christians believe in some pretty weird stuff. Pretty far-fetched as far as the world is concerned. But here's the critical question for today. I just wonder if we actually believe it. Do we actually believe in a bodily resurrection? If you don't, the entire gospel breaks down. Without the resurrection, the entire gospel, the good news is nullified. The powerful hope that is intended to be yours dies, ironically, and you're left with fake news. It's not good news. It's fake will buy, and you will leave, and it'll leave, it'll leave you like a conflicted mess. Because of the resurrection, we can face the terrible difficulty and unwelcome pain of this life. Because of the resurrection, we can be at peace. We can live without fear and we can adapt to any tragedy because we know this life is just a breath. And what happened to Jesus is only the first of what is going to happen to all those who believe. Anastasis, we're going to rise. Not, please, not into wafy spirit beings that aimlessly flit and float about in some boring, semi-real, altered state of consciousness. We rise like he did, bodily, into a better, very real, and getting better body. Soul-powered, glorified bodies of such indescribable magnificent, catch this, that we will look back on this life and it'll be like looking down on an ant colony. Does that matter? I was through, I'm stretching for metaphor here. We look, at, we look at an ant colony right now and there's just not much to it. It's kind of cool. They're buzzing around. This, the next life that we were, bod we're bodily raised into, when we look back at this life, it's gonna, we're going to see how, in one sense, insignificant it is. Simply a preparation for the next. So inconsequential. The struggles of it, even death, will be so minimal compared to the more solidly real than imaginal life of eternity. This is the craziness that we believe. Well, we believe it because it was demonstrated in our Savior, Jesus. If you believe and you believe this very strange thing, bodily resurrection. Our hope is toward a 
certain future physical bodily resurrection and a life with Jesus as king that will be everything that we sense this life should be. Like we, we travel around this world with this sort of God echoing knowledge in our heart that this isn't quite right, if not completely wrong in some ways, this life. And in the future life, the future bodily life, we will understand that even more. But here's where we started this conversation. That future hope also works to breathe a greater, deeper, more meaningful life into this life. We're not just enduring this life in hope of something that we can't yet see. We're enduring this life in such a way that our faith increases our understanding and experience of that future hope now. Peter said, friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you. Don't, Don't look at it as though something strange were happening to you, Peter says. Rejoice in it. As much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when he is revealed. What do you do? What do you do with all this? I'm going to wrap it up here. A couple things. Number one, believe it with all of your heart that Jesus' work gives you rest and peace in your eternal life. Do you believe that your Christianity or, or, or what your Christianity is grounded in, do you actually, certainly, with great conviction, assert to yourself and others that this is not all that there is and that we know that because of him? When great things happen in your life, what do you think? What do you do? Do you think, wow, this is as good as it gets? Or can we smile and even the greatest, most wonderful things that happen in this life, shouldn't we instead smile and think to ourselves, if it can be that good here, how magnificently incredible must it be there? Do we see even the best of this life in one sense, as a shadow, just a shadow. Is it, can, it, can it get you into the space of, wow, are you telling me that it's magnitudes more amazing than this wonderful thing in this life? Yes. How about when something bad happens here? We tend to tilt into the space of, how can there be a God? How will we ever make it? How can it be this bad? Or is it possible that the believer could smile and think, this is momentary. This is preparation for something indescribable. Psalm 90, which I think was written by Moses, I think that's what we understand, said this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, 
or before you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Know that his bodily resurrection is a foreshadowing of yours and number your days. Number your days. As a Christian, every single day is an opportunity to let go of this world and invest and lean into the eternal work of God. Number your days. The day that you have, whether it's 33 like Jesus, 35 like my neighbor, or 80 like my father, or every other number in between and beyond that, right? Number your days and engage them with an eternal perspective. Don't wait. Realize that this life is only a vapor, only a fraction of an inch and a 10,000 mile journey. Number your days. Shake loose the attachments of this world, the loves of this world, the addictions of this world, the pursuits of this world before they are taken away without your permission, hold loosely. We can lay down our lives. We can lay down our lives. We can allow for the realities of this world to exist because we are going to rise again. We give up what we love. We give away what we have. We let go of what traps our heart. We humble ourselves and lose when we could win because we're going to rise again. We die voluntarily in this lifetime to this life just like Jesus did, we start living a new life just like him. His spirit empowers us to persevere, to mature us, and build our hope. I'll finish with this verse. This is Romans chapter, this is Paul again, Romans chapter six. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in death, like he'll be united in resurrection like his, not just in the future, but now. God, you are magnificent. You are sovereign. You are good all the time. We suffer. Let us be faithful in it. Give us a spirit of faith, God, so that we might persevere, that we might grow in character, and that we might more fully apprehend you and have hope in the middle of it. God, grant us this mercy in Jesus' name. Amen.